Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Important new Matt King boyfriend update. Wow. We have an IKEA spotting. Whoa. We we have reached the IKEA (laughs) level of this relationship. Is this a pre-emergency emergency? Exactly. It's just a thing that brought Glenn a lot of joy. Yep. Also joining us, Direction Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I love Ikea. It's just great. I Do just, you, you like hanging out there? I just... Well, actually, I love the Swedish meatballs for real, though. Those are awesome. Well, that's a separate issue. No, I'm just saying. You know. You gotta take it with the good with the bad. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I have been in a constant state of protest since Glenn was not on this show, and I am happily back. Yeah, yeah. Happily back, recording the show, uh, willfully, volitionally, gladly... Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, I, you know, I assumed last week since I was out of town, you guys just were going to be in mourning. Yep. You know, just sackcloth and ashes. Yep. But it turns out you guys just recorded a show without me because it's like you just didn't even care. Oh, we wore sackcloth as we did it. We did. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It breathes. Well, in that case, I, I, I withdraw my previous statement. Yeah, Glenn, uh, I think, you know, Matt sent me, and I, I think he and Jeb were both wearing, like, the, the black armbands as we were recording. Oh, oh okay. We put them right there on the microphone. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's that's something, I suppose. Yeah, we had a whole thing. We retired your, your headphones. <laughs> but you came back, so kind of Jordan-style. We brought them back out. You lowered it from the rafters. Yeah, it was like, and, oh, never yeah. mind. He's got to put these back on. Right. <laughs> Threw him over the uh, the power lines there in a very symbolic gesture. Uh, I see. That's that's pretty <laughs> ceremonial. It is pretty ceremonial. We're and we obviously we celebrate Glenn's return. We celebrate. I believe this is the first time in about a month or so we've had all four of us together. So mm. glad welcome to be here. back. Got some great questions, wow. but first, I'm a Claire celebratory emergency. Uh, emergency, indeed. We record this on Father's Day, so if you would like to. Uh, so if you, like the rest of us, have spent the last 24 hours absorbing somewhere between half-truths and carefully massaged truths about people's families via huh. social media, <laughs> um, we thought we could uh, take a little different angle okay. on Father's Day. Less a celebration of our individual fathers, the idea of someone's individual father, which is great if you want to you know, post about your husband or your father. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um those of us who are in counseling relationships with lots of people look at some of those posts differently might mm. be the way to put that. Yeah. Uh, but I thought we could, we could celebrate the, the concept of daddom okay. in general. And I don't mean actually having father to child, cause that's one definition, but then there's also, you know, having a strong opinion about a brand of power tools you don't own. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're talking about uh, like, Like, you may not be a father, but do you have a pair of dad jeans? Exactly. You you don't have any children of your own, but you have caught yourself commenting out loud on how little traveling gets called in NBA games. Right. Like, you don't even know where it came from. Yeah. Just like you turned 30, and then you were like... I I have a strong opinion about this. I didn't yeah. see that coming. Yeah. So I thought we could we could share, but be it things we. Uh, Lee is only a father on the show, but in a way 
as middle-aged white men, we all have our dad tendencies. Sure. So those we have exhibited throughout the year, maybe those, maybe some highlights we have seen of good quality dad style behavior. Mm. I will, uh, I will kick off is this is a good one is, is that not only have I been to Ikea folks, I've been to the home Depot. Whoa. A fair amount recently. <laughs> and here's a dad posture you see at the home Depot is the guy buying the thing to fix the thing he broke while trying to fix the first thing <laughs> yeah. he was trying to fix. Oh, yeah. Like there's, there's two types of dad in the home Depot. There's, I got the prep tools and all that. And there's kind of the, the excitement. And then there's the, I'm buying, you know, glue and paint remover. Right. And these kind of things to, uh, to assuage what had happened. Yeah. I think that's, it's a real cycle of dad. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think when we were talking about you know your IKEAs and your Home Depots, one of the things uh, you know, uh, Jed and Matt came to pick me up when I, you know from the airport when I got back into town, and uh, Matt was talking about IKEA, and I I asked Matt, you know, are do you feel like based on IKEA and Home Depot and and so on and so forth, do you feel like you're just too tired to do any sinning? Mm. <laughs> and he said, "Yes, definitely." I said, "Well, then you're on the path of righteousness, my yes. friend. Good. This is what we were hoping for all along. <laughs> right. You would just be so <laughs> this drained of the will to go on that you would just be righteous, absolutely. Because it's like I don't, I don't got any energy, right? For that. Wow. So I think yes, that is a very uh, you know very dadistic kind of uh, sure. Thing. Just the dad who's on the vacation, who's just sunburned and dehydrated and there's a kid poking him in the actual eyeball (laughs) but he's not moving he's just like yeah yeah Yeah, that's fine go ask your mother okay yeah Yeah. i I think a certain amount of yeah triumphal defeatism yeah that's good solid dadding that's Uh, good lee got anything to jump in here with uh several things one i i find myself checking the weather app all the time just Mm, like just checking the weather app it's like are we gonna Oh, uh, we're thinking about going for a walk. Well, let me just check the weather app real quick and uh, yeah. and and see what we're in for. Um, also, yeah. little things like uh, little things that I used to notice in in my dad, and I I didn't you know it was those things of I'm not going to be that kind of guy. But I recently got we recently got a new vehicle. My car completely died, and um, so we we got a, we got another vehicle. And my my lovely wonderful daughter Anna. Uh, likes to in the passenger seat go ahead and put her feet up on the dashboard, and it doesn't matter how many times you're like, oh, d- d- you know, d- don't don't put your feet up on the dashboard. It's like the I, I hear my dad's voice saying that thing to her <laughs> while she's putting them up there, and then she just looks at me like, really, you're gonna make this a thing? Out of all the things yeah. <laughs> on the planet Earth, can I just put my feet up on the dashboard? Why is this really? Are we going to have this conversation right now? You know, and it's right. it's it's just those kinds of little things where I'm like, I I feel it, you know, creeping up and and happening to me. The other thing is that I found myself in a conversation, and this is kind of this is not just me as a dad, but it's just kind of uh, how all of us men getting to a certain age, the kind of conversation we'll have. I was in a serious conversation with a good friend of mine who's a missionary, and and we were talking about how much we've realized we actually enjoy going ahead and, and washing out the French press coffee pot every day. And I wow. was like, how have I become this person? 
So, you know, you get a few minutes to yourself. It's, it's, it's really meditative in its own way. Yeah, it's a, it's a right. cathartic process. You feel good afterwards. It, in the Marie Kondo sense, it's sparking joy. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a time in a young person's life when time to yourself to recharge your batteries may involve, you know, food that's really bad for you or, you know, going out and doing something a little wild. But then you hit that age where you're like, I just, I just need to enjoy cleaning this thing. Right. Right. Because that's yeah. all I'm going to get. Yeah. Jed, you're, you're as a, uh, a noted observer of humanity. Yeah. Anything recent leap to mind? Well, so four or five years ago, my wife and I moved from our first apartment as a married couple uh, to we rented the world's tiniest house. Uh, it's lovely, but it's the world's tiniest house in a neighborhood near us called Oak Park. And we have to uh, accompany our world's tiniest house. We have the world's tiniest front lawn. Sure. Um, and lawn is a generous term because it's far more weed than grass. Sure. I mean, it's, you know, I actually don't know how it's possible to have grass that bad, but I'm beginning to point to the issue, which is I've discovered I care deeply about my lawn. Oh no. And, and I'm going to tell you a story about this. So we live on kind of a main thoroughfare. There's a lot of traffic and we are just like two blocks North of a school. So there's kids walking up and down the sidewalk all day, every day. And they leave trash in my yard. Wow. Those darn kids. Those darn kids <laughs> leave trash in my yard on my lawn. So I went to Home Depot and I bought the trash picker upper, oh, the thing that's the extension wow. arm, Incredible. we can just grab it. Yeah. Gotta, go, go gadget. Well, yeah, at some point you got to think about the health of your back, folks. Yeah. This is I'm not throwing out my back for the <laughs> sake of these kids. <laughs> these <laughs> darn kids. If, if Jed Brewer asks a teen person to turn that darn music down, it, the, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, come on back. It's over. Everything's <laughs> yeah, over, over at that point. Well, that's not even a dad thing. That's a thing of uh, folks. You, you may not know this about your, your old friend Jed Brewer. He is functionally deaf. That is totally true. <laughs> um, so, if you need Jed, if Jed asks you to turn something down, your ears should be bleeding. <laughs> yeah. One of the right. one of the things on this mat that I think is so interesting is that as as I'm thinking about myself, I realized I I've started to do a thing that has always annoyed me uh, in my dad, which is my dad will ask me, "Did I tell you about?" and then. You know, and he'll say the thing or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I'll go ahead and tell the punchline of the thing. And then he'll go, yeah. And then he'll go ahead and tell the story anyway. It's like, I've yeah. already demonstrated that I've heard the story. And you're going to plow on through and give it to me anyway. Well, this was something right. that happened. When we recently went to visit my dad. And it's a similar thing of he'll, he'll, he'll very conscientiously ask the setup. That's right. He'll tell a story about a thing and say, <laughs> thing. Yeah, you know what this is? And I will say to him, yes, I know what that is. And then he will explain what it is that's anyway. It. That's the yeah. dad way. Because it was already loaded. Right, that's right. That's it was right. like, you know, I, so he's like, he works at a bank. So, so we're dealing with SEC stuff. You know what that is? Like, yes, yeah, here's an exchange commission. Gotcha. So it's the Securities and Exchange Commission. And I was like, do I need to be here for this? Exactly. But as, as Lee says, the, the scary thing for those of you who are young, as you hear all this, is n- none of these were conscious choices. No, dude. Any of us that's made. Right. Just at some point, it jumps your frontal cortex. Yeah. And you just start having lawn opinions. Yeah. <laughs> I recently, this is the most dad thing I have in a while. I, uh, I was, there's somewhere in town here. I, I drive quite regularly. And there was some point, like, it was like there was construction or something. So it was all backed up. So I had to find a different route, which I found that I liked better than the initial route. Okay. And the amount of joy, <laughs> ah. better route brought yeah. me. Yeah. 
was like, I was in the car like, hey, I was nicer and it's kind of, to me, it's a little longer, but really, when you can't the red lights, and I just went, oh, no. It's the little things, Dad. Yeah, it happens. Well, I'll give you mine. Please. This is, uh, this is, uh, maybe you can relate, but we, we have our garage where we park our car and it's, it's not a big garage, so you have to kind of, you know, park it carefully. And my wife, her spiritual gift is not parking. Okay. Or, oh. or driving. Okay. She has or many of the other ones. Not that one. That she has many other. <laughs> she knows. I, I, will, I will stop before I get into a lot there of meetings. But, uh, <laughs> but I put the, you know how you do. You get your tennis ball. Right. Everybody loves your tennis you ball. You put it on the string. The tennis ball. You hang the string down so when you hit the tennis ball, you quit. For those right? of you who don't live in the urban areas, when you hit the uh, when your windshield hits a tennis ball, you're the proper depth. That's right. Now, my wife just decided completely on her own, totally unauthorized, I'm just going to move this tennis ball over. Oh, that's anarchy. And I, the oh. amount of like... And then she moves my tennis ball over for my car. Easy. Whoa. I'm like, excuse me? What is going on right now? There's a Bible verse on this, I'm sure. Well, Glenn, as we close out this segment to get to the heart of it, let me ask you this. Put, cast your mind back to being a younger man, teens, 20s, and if you heard your father ranting, yeah, about the injustice <laughs> of his wife moving the tennis yeah. ball. You'd say that's oh, this old man needs you to get a life, go, man. That's right. Yeah, it's, you still part the same, but well, then it comes for us all. Then with that, exactly statements, I will declare <laughs> emergency off. Well, the June edition of Bridgebox, <laughs> which you're still in, is all about improving your relationships. Yeah. Maybe oh. something that hurts your relationships is you just don't have that internal filter. Yeah, there you, you go. You want to have you, better relationships. Got it. That's you the got kind it. of practical, real-world realities we're That's talking it. about yeah. in Bridgebox. You get sermons from Glenn and myself. You get songs from all sorts from uh, Jed and Lee and all sorts of our talented friends. Check it out, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month. The number one way that folks who get help by the podcast Support the work we do over here. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have all the way to the end, I use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description to find those. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, I feel the need for an Instagram account, but probably I don't need really need another time-draining activity. I would just like to receive some of the same virtual and fake, I know, appreciation as my friends. What do I do is jumping on my phone till I break it the right way to escape. And Lee, as the one of us who works most with the Instagram demographic, why don't you start us off? Yeah, sure. This is, uh, yeah, jumping on the phone till it breaks is probably not going to be the thing. Um, but I, I you got the same emotional problems and a broken phone. We have not improved. <laughs> yeah, and, and based on basically everything else you do in your life, including your job and stuff like that, you're probably just going to have to turn around and go get another phone. So, um, but I, but I appreciate the honesty there and just kind of thinking out the left and right limits. We can appreciate that. I would say there there actually is some good stuff in here that that you want. Um, there are some there are some positive things that that you want to achieve. There there and there are some people who would say to you, you know what, Instagram's from the devil, and anybody that wants it is uh, awful and massively insecure, and so you should run as far as you way you know far as you can away from that. What I would say to you is. Um, you know, maybe, maybe for some people that's true. What I would say is let's look for 
the things that you actually want that are good and healthy and yep. ask a deeper question, which is, can we actually achieve some of those things on an Instagram account? My thought is, I bet you could. I bet if we thought creatively about what it is that you want that's healthy, and then and then obviously what we want to get to is we want to find um, you know real life versions of those good and healthy things that you actually desire in this in this question. But let's talk about the Instagram piece first because I don't actually think there's anything wrong with having an account. Some people obviously um, treat those things and uh, you know in, in unhealthy ways and and you know kind of nurse and nurture really unhealthy things in their own personalities with that kind of a social media engagement. But um, there's some really cool stuff that can happen there. I'm thinking of just kind of the immediate contact, you know, contact that you can have with people um, as far as reaching out and caring for them. So let's get, let me give you a, a quick real life example. There is a, there was a, a a young gal in in our church that um, you know she was kind of new to our community and uh, making friends and stuff like that, but she had put some kind of thing on an Instagram story about how much uh, she loves Star Wars, but that was hard for her because none of her friends liked that. And uh, you know, and in, in, in my house, we love the Star Wars, and all my kids, everything, everybody loves the Star Wars. So I just kind of filed that away as a mental note. This is somebody reaching out about something that they would like some, you know, contact with and some community with. And, uh, you know, recently uh, we had some people over. We were deciding, you know, we're going to make some food. We're going to make some dessert. We're going to watch a Star Wars movie, put out some snacks. And so, you know, we just I just kind of texted this gal and said, hey, some of us are going to watch a Star Wars movie with my kids. Do you want to come over? And it was this huge thing of like, how did you know that? Yes, I would love that. Thank you for inviting me over. So what I'm saying is there are some actual... Um, you know, there is encouragement, there's stuff you can pick up about people that you can use to to learn how to serve them better and know them more, and and you can use that stuff for your advantage right there on direct messages, um, engagement with Instagram stories, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think there's some cool things that you could do creatively, especially if your heart um, is aiming at one thing, which is something we talk about a lot on this show, which is give away for free the thing that you most want. Um, this is a ministry principle that I, I I think the way that I heard that, it was invented by Glenn, but actually Jesus invented it when he said, treat others the way you want to be treated, back in Matthew chapter 7. So in other words, if you are feeling lonesome and you want some appreciation, then let's start here. Let's find other lonesome people and and reach out to them on purpose. Uh, when you're hanging out with people, when you notice something that's cool or unique about them, Go ahead and point that and point that out. Appreciate it. Give them some appreciation. Um, be the person who kicks off some of these hangouts and some of these and some of these conversations. Be the person who points out and encourages people on purpose, looking them in the eye and telling them what you think of them directly and truly. What I can tell you is that that kind of that kind of activity, that kind of behavior, can have a growth effect. You can. You can kind of train people in your community on how to talk to each other, how to appreciate each other, how to, how to recognize each other. Because obviously the place we want to get to, even with the social media engagement, are the kinds of relationships where you are giving and receiving encouragement and help and service from people that are actually in your life. Uh, you know, not just the virtual connections, but real connections. And I think that starts by 
you know, giving away the thing that you most want for free to other folks. It's a really great point. It's a very, very important and strong place to start this. And Glenn, love to get to you here because I think Lee is pointing us to something important there, which is um, we we joked about the dad thing, particularly generationally. There's if you're uh, reading books by older folks, hearing sermons by older folks, there is. I feel like we got into a place where we may jump to a total uh, demonization of social media. Yeah. Um, which, as Lee points out, it certainly has its foibles and its pitfalls, mm. but I'm not sure immediately thinking, oh, everyone is on this thing where you share pictures, it's probably bad, is a helpful footing to start on. So what's a better way to think about that? Well, I think it's a tool. You you figure out how to use that tool for right. something good. Uh, if you don't, it will be inane and pointless and silly and all those other things that all those other people are talking about. But uh, you know, well, it should be said, um, a lot of things on my phone are inane and pointless and silly. That's the point of them. They're, yeah. they're entertainment, they're distraction. There's yeah. nothing wrong with using social media that way. Um, what rightly gets called out is looking to it for some form of depth or reality yeah. and yeah. putting inanity in that spot. But there's nothing wrong with a distraction either. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I follow people on social media that it's just pure entertainment. That's the point of it. That's what I get out of it. It's no different from consuming any other kind of media. Uh, so I think it's um, it's important to see it in that way. Uh, so the message then ought to be something about choosing what media you follow and what what media mm-hmm. what you're what it is that you're consuming. Uh, uh, certainly my perspective, and I'm sure everyone on this podcast shares it, is that social media can be uh, a huge tool for the kingdom and can be used yeah. in, in mighty ways to accomplish God's purposes. And I don't think people have begun to scratch the surface of that. So if you wanted to do that, you'd find a ton of cool opportunities and you could you could call up or, or email the people on this show and we could we could help you with that easily. We'd love to. Uh, but the, the, the possibilities are endless. Uh, a lot of my interactions with pastors actually happens through social media. A certain number of the pastors that I work with uh, actually were on social media before they were on the email even, because they just weren't that computer literate. They weren't computer users and stuff. So they were just on their own uh, smartphones doing social media stuff. So that's how I interact with a lot of them, and uh, and you know uh, my my ministry would hurt if I didn't have social media, I guess, in that sense. Uh, but I think here's the thing that 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 I want you to look at is that uh, first and foremost to look at what it is you want to put out in the world. Okay, that's thing number one. A lot of people, uh, Christians included, go on social media to say almost exclusively negative things. Now, the funny thing is they're trying to make a positive statement by commenting on this thing which is bad, if you see what I'm saying. These people are starving. That's terrible. This injustice is happening. That's terrible. They're they're trying to say there should be more food and more justice in the world, you know. So I get what they're trying to say, but 100% of what you're putting out into the world is just, here's another thing to feel terrible about. 
We actually don't need that. We've already got that. It seems like no one's really yeah. commenting on those things. They are. They're commenting on these things. Uh, that doesn't mean only giving the sunshine part of that, but it is looking at what can I do uh, to give people um, something positive that they, and encouraging, uplifting, inspiring that they can look at. I think the, part of the reason why people don't do that is they judge their own motives. Am I just doing this to get attention? Am I just doing this to get followers? Am I just doing this? Here's the thing. Don't judge your intentions because yeah. first and foremost, it's always a mix. You know, you want a little attention. I don't see anything wrong with that. What's what's so bad about having some extra attention? If you want to do something godly as part of that, why not? That, that's fine. It, it, it can that go to an extreme very easily? Sure, it can. So you 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 want to not be uh, uh you know pandering to that. But I think it's about looking at if if I try to do whatever I can to inspire, encourage, and equip people, enable them, give them that sense of getting closer to the Lord, uh, set them free from the things that are holding them back. If I'm looking to do that and I accomplish it, then I should have I, I should try to have as many followers as possible because I would be doing more good. So that would that would that would be fantastic. So let's not judge our motives in that. And I think the last thing I would say is that when people are trying to get popularity, when they're trying to get attention for its own sake, when they're trying to uh, be famous, when they're trying to get a bunch of followers, the the methodology a lot of them fall into is how do I trigger the most feels? I see pastors doing this. I see lay people doing this. I'm going to trigger lots of... I'm going to post this. It's going to really give people feels. The thing is, first of all, that's nothing. That is nothing. Getting people to feel things is not something. That's nothing. People just having emotions, and in in this case, usually negative ones, that's nothing. Now, you'll get a lot of response to that. So you think, well, I'm really provoking the people, and I'm really engaging with the people, and I'm getting you know whatever it is. That's not an important thing to do. It's important to set people free on the things that are holding them Amen. back. This is a message about grace that's setting people free. If this is a message about love, if it's a message about acceptance, if it's a message about inclusion, whatever those things are, that someone who is struggling can read this and feel a weight come off of them. Believe me, you're going to get followers. Believe me, you're going to be at reblog and reposted. It'd be a slightly different kind of interaction and different types of popularity and different kinds of interactions. But man, you'll love it, and you'll be making a real difference, and I don't see any reason why not. Absolutely. Uh, Jed, I think these guys did a great job looking at the social media aspect of this. Let's look at the time aspect. Right on. This is the idea of, you know, I, I maybe don't need another activity to drain my time. And the only thing, maybe the only thing I can do to protect that is to smash my phone, which I paid several hundred dollars for, which um, I say that not to make fun of our question asker, but because it's a weirdly common uh, idea in culture, but Christian culture specifically, that um, it's kind of, you know, total, totally, total abstinence or just give yourself over to the negative consequences of the thing. Right. Um, is when it comes to stuff like time management and stress and all that stuff. So what's the actual healthy way to deal with that? Well, I think the thing that you're looking for is moderation. Boo. I know. <laughs> I know. 
Well, this is a great question. We're we're really glad that you wrote in and and the answer to is it a good idea for you to be on Instagram is it all depends, you know? I as as Glenn and Lee rightly point out, what are you going to do with it? Um, and to go right along with it, how much being on Instagram are we talking about? You know, a, a little is probably great. Uh, a whole lot is probably not. You know, I mean, if you if you are sleeping three hours a night because it's cutting into your Instagram time and you really need to, you know, do more scrolling, well, that would be a sign things have gone a bit far. Um, but you know, if you've got a five minute break between classes and you're looking for something to, to clear your brain a little bit before you got to take more notes down. That's a great idea. It's lovely. It's that's, that's awesome. I think, you know, yeah, there are people, um, and they are not bad people. They're not people lacking in moral character. There, there are people who find it harder to be moderate about certain things. And, you kind of have to know yourself on that. You know, I mean, if you find that you, you put Instagram on your phone and, and it's five minutes the first day and a week later it's five hours, well, maybe that is a struggle. And and sometimes for people who have that kind of struggle, total abstinence from the thing is the right approach. But if that's not a thing for you, if it's five minutes the first day and a week later it's still five minutes, that's fine, man. It's, it's no problem at all in, in any way, shape, or form. Um Again, a little is good, a lot is not. That's true for all kinds of things in life. You know, very, very few things are actually as cut and dry as we want to make them out to be. And that leads to the second thing. And I think this relates to your question about Instagram, but I think it's going to relate to a lot of things in life where I really want to encourage you to think about this is don't belittle the things that you're interested in. Yeah. You, you said right in your question, uh, in this, I'm directly quoting you here. I just would like to receive some virtual, parentheses, fake, I know, and parentheses, appreciation as my friends get. Dude, don't do that. There's there's nothing fake about online appreciation. I mean, Amen. people can do it in an insincere fashion. You know where else people do insincere? Real life. In yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. On the phone. Literally everywhere. Nuh-uh, Jed. No one can lie on the phone. <laughs> They can never lie via telegram. That's why I always do all of my court depositions that way. It takes more time, but it's foolproof. Yeah, no, I mean, this This is the thing is if you, it's actually, to, to take that for a second, if you go back in time a little bit, people have been talking about the evils of every communication technology that's ever been invented. Sure. And how, and how it's, it's going to be the end of civilization. I'm not making this up. This is like 150 years ago when they were bringing around unified time zones. There were pastors in churches protesting that we were going to live by God's time, not somebody else's, and smashing their watches on the pulpit to make that point. Ditto the automobile. There was a concerted religious effort that this was going to be the end of all holiness and civilization. Yeah. Um, Other people are going to hate on the things you're interested in. Uh, guaranteed. Religious people are going to hate on them. Irreligious people are going to hate on them. In fact, as a fun experiment, pick anything you could possibly be interested in. Go on Twitter and search for it. You will find someone who tells you it's the worst (laughs) thing that has ever existed. I promise you. The point of this is given that other people um, are going to... um, Can I use the word poop? Sure. 
Please. Other people are going to poop on the things you're interested in. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yes, <Ed>. you're welcome. <laughs> Given that said poopage is going to occur, you don't need to do that yourself. Right. There, there's no advantage to that. And, and actually, this is something we've talked about before, but this goes to what both Lee and Glenn were saying. I think this is really worth looking at is... I think if you took big and small, if you got into the habit of taking the things that you're interested in and just talking to God about them without assuming that he's against them, but just saying, I think this is neat. And can you show me what kind of good purpose you could have for this big or small? You know, maybe that's just pure entertainment and I need a little bit of extra entertainment in my life. But if you got into the habit of not judging the things you're interested in, not belittling them, not looking down on them, but taking them to the Lord and asking him to show you how they could be used in good and healthy ways, I think you'd find that a whole new world opened up to you, a much wider, much more varied, much more vibrant world, almost like there would be life. To the fullest. Mm. Um, we think God wants that for you. We want that for you. So uh, don't beat up on yourself. That's absolutely right. And really what Jed's giving us there ties in exactly to what uh, Lee and Glenn were talking about with the purpose you use this for. Because when we don't have any kind of purpose or goal or strategy or whatever for something, that's when it turns into kind of a swirl and can become a time suck. We may think of purpose and goals and those things for only things that are something we only have for big things in our lives, but we want to have that for almost, you have a goal and a purpose for pretty much everything you do. If you, if you go to the store to get a stick of gum, going to the store had the purpose of getting a stick of gum. That it's not a big purpose, but it's a purpose in the same way. If you have, you want to get an Instagram account, you could have whatever purpose you want for that. As we say, you know, it could be purely as a consumer, pretty much. You know, I just want to, I'll follow some, some famous people and some funny people and the thing where the guy writes weird, uh, grammatically incorrect sentences from the point of view of the dog in the picture. That's all cool. That's, you know, you say, Oh, I look at that and it's, it's a nice little hit of something goofy. And then I move on about my day. That's great. If it, you say, yeah, I want to be able to share cool little, Moments from my life. Here's a thing that happened. I put it in my Instagram story. My friends comment on it. That's cool too. And anything, anything else, anything in between. But where we can get into a trouble, as these guys are pointing out, is when you just say, I just had this thing. I don't know what it does. Because then it can really become not only a time suck, but you can kind of just always feel a little bad that it's not doing some nebulous thing that you kind of wished it would which can lead to more negativity and more time on and all that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, as we said, you know, we're all on social media. There's nothing wrong with having that stuff with wanting that stuff, but it really helps from the beginning to kind of figure out what you want it for. And yeah. that can change. You might say, you know, I, I got the Instagram when we got a puppy and it was all about the puppy and a year in, I started, you know, traveling for work and now it's you know just goofy stuff i noticed in the airport that's all cool or i decided i found some like positive quotes and i wanted to put those up over the picture i take that's all awesome but if you have a thing that say i have this for this and i did it now i can put this away that really helps figure out how things fit into your life all right move on to our second question it comes in honestly and it says i have hurt people and other people have hurt me and now I know I need forgiveness in my heart, but how do I let go of the past and finally just move on? And Glenn, I, I repurposed this. It's actually a question we talked about at the bridge recently, which I thought yeah. uh, obviously has a very significant uh, resonance for the people in that room, maybe mm-hmm. covered from addiction and have, have criminal backgrounds. But I think there is really a lot from that discussion I thought would benefit kind of everyone that idea of what is 
we hear a lot of talk about moving on. Yeah. What does that actually look like? Well, it's a great question because uh, we, we do want to get out of the abstract concepts and into the more concrete ones. And I think uh, moving on happens and, and, and letting things go uh, happens when we are in a place where we're having a sense of clarity, have a, a sense of a deeper understanding of what these relationships are with God and what God thinks about these things and having that perspective on what's going on here. I mean, and it's buying into that. I mean, I think we can know things intellectually about God's forgiveness uh, towards us and just not really buying into that on a heart level. But I think uh, I want to start, we were talking in the last question about uh, being set free. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And uh, we, we, I don't know that I heard a lot of that in church uh, growing yeah. up. You know, uh, I, I, in fact, I heard a lot of sermons th- that were uh, "God is present in this place, so behave. You must behave." Amen. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, there, there wasn't any freedom at all wherever God was uh, it, it, around me. Uh, but the Bible says that that God gives us freedom. That means freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from being afraid of our our past coming back to haunt us. Uh, If you are feeling that sense of bondage when you think of your past, when you deal with your past, that's not God. That's not God putting that on you. Uh, That's the enemy that's putting that on you. God wants you free from that. That's that's what this verse is saying. Um. But the the trick to that is you're free when you want to be free because he wants you to be free. So he's on board. He he's he's st- standing at the door and knocking, saying, "I'm I'm ready to let this drop." Uh, you you will be free when you're ready to let it drop. When when you say, "Okay, if that's how you want it, Lord, that's how I want it," and you drop that bag of rocks. But I think it's also uh, a thing where we 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 tend to put conditions on all of those kinds of things. I will feel free. I will feel forgiven when I behave a certain amount. I will feel like I can be forgiving, forgiven or that I am forgivable if I sort my life out in certain sorts of ways and those kinds of things. Uh, so we, put con- we, we, we make forgiveness conditional instead of unconditional forgiveness. This is what God's offering to us, is unconditional forgiveness. So we have to stop thinking in terms of, uh, let me first jump through this hoop, then I'll be in a position for that. I think the last thing I would say on this is, when we're talking about forgiving ourselves and we're looking at forgiving other people, there's a tendency to either do the guilt thing, whether you're putting it on yourself or putting on that other person and making them feel bad, of what they've done. Um, but there's not nearly as much of a focus on the trend of behavior. Mm-hmm. If you've been in a dysfunctional family, um, the trick of that is I'm, I, I'm willing to talk about and I might be able to take a limited, very small amount of responsibility for the last thing that I did. But you can't dredge up all the stuff in the past like a not Christian person 
and just make me accountable for all the other stuff. This is totally one thing happening in isolation. It's not part of a larger pattern, man. Where are you even getting this? You know, so there, there's a, a a tendency to um to to let's ignore these trends. I think you should forgive yourself for the things you've done in your past. I think Amen. you should accept God's forgiveness. I think you should forgive the people who have wronged you because you deserve to be set free Amen. from carrying that around. At the exact same time, I think you need to have your eyes wide open to the trend of behavior yeah. that you tend to have and the, the trend of behavior that other people uh, tend to have. If you feel a massive wave of guilt when you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Okay? Because here's the thing. If I say, oh, I keep messing up, so I can't even stand to think about how I keep messing up. I just get wallowing in guilt off of that. Well, okay, don't pull out of that, push deeper into it. Why do you keep messing up? Are there, are there certain things that happen every time that trigger you in certain ways to mess up? Are you often alone when you mess up? Are you often you know, kind of uh, uh, tired or stressed out when you mess up? Well, what are those conditions that where you that are present when you're messing up is there a pattern there is there is there something we can look at because now we're getting smarter about this we're understanding the trend of behavior and what's going on now we have a real chance of making changes this is about thinking not feeling this is about wisdom and uh, applying that wisdom and that understanding to the situation and that's important for you to do on your mess ups but it's also important for you to do on other people's mess ups yeah you know, I have family members that come to me and say, uh, you know, I'm sorry for the thing. I say, easiest thing in the world to forgive you. I forgive you completely, fully, and unconditionally. You, you it, it's, it's, it's totally, you know, forgiven, forgotten. It's, it's over now. Well, so can we go around again? No, we can't go around again because you've done this a hundred times in a row. I'm not a fool. I'm forgiving you, but I know what you're likely to do next. Well, you're not forgiving me if you think I'll do it again. No, I am forgiving you. I definitely think you're definitely going to do it again. That's why I'm not going to give you a chance to do it again. I'm that, and you should be glad that I'm, I'm going to keep you from messing this up anymore and giving you a chance to, to sort it out. But, you know, I... I can't, I can't, uh, it's not helping me to be ignorant of the larger pattern of behavior that's taking yeah. place here. And it's not helping that other person either. You're enabling that person to keep on their own dysfunctional behavior. That's not helping them. It's not helping you. It's not helping the kingdom. Better to draw those lines, see those trends, tell the other person, this is a trend of behavior you're doing, and you're doing it with other people as well, and it needs to change, and you need to work on those changes. That's absolutely right. It's a really fantastic place to start this off because this is something that is uh, applicable both internally and externally. It's a very important part of it. And Jed, maybe another uh, part of this that it's important to look at from that kind of high-level strategic idea is uh, one of the other misconceptions, I think, is once we have that misconception of moving on, getting over something as kind of this totally holistic thing of like, eh, it's pretty much like it never happened. That's right. a common idea, but not actually the way it works. I think another common idea, but not actually the way it works is that this is all moving on comes from a huge moment of epiphany. Yeah. And it's just this big dramatic moment. And then man, I just moved on. Like yeah. it doesn't even bother anymore. So if that's not the way it works, what is the way it works? Well, I think it's half the way it works. In other words, I think most people, when they're moving on from 
All kinds of things, a, a, a messy romantic relationship, a bad family situation, a, a bad job situation. You know, I, I think not all, but I think most people do have a moment where they say, I've had enough. We've, I've reached my limit. I, you know, I'm emotionally in a place of no more. I'm just not going to put up with this anymore, which is fine. That's, that's, that's good. That's great. The question where we get in trouble is exiting that situation and getting into a new situation boils down to specifics that boils down to a plan. So in other words, if you had a, a bad job situation and as someone who's had some really bad job situations, if you're listening right now and you're in a bad job situation, I am so sorry. Hang in there. We're praying for you. But let's suppose you say, I go in on Thursday and Jenkins lets me have it again for the 15th time. And I just, in my heart of hearts, that's it. I'm, I'm just done. I just can't do this anymore. Okay. But you do still technically work here. I mean, you have had enough. You have made kind of in an emotional sense, you've made the decision to move on, but you are still an employee of Intercorp. Um, So now we have to do a few things. We have to make a strategic decision. Do we simply quit this job and then look for another? Do we begin a job search now? hold this job down until we find a new job. Do we need to look into some education and some career advancement kind of stuff so we can find a different kind of job that's a better fit? Are there jobs like what I'm looking for in this area or is there a relocation thing that's involved in this? Have I? Are there people I need to talk to about that, like a spouse, for example? So we go from kind of the big emotional moment of saying I've had enough, which again, that's fine. That's, um, that's where most of the stuff begins, but pretty quickly for it to really take root, we have to actually plot this into, um, specifics. We have to plot it into a specific plan. And it's important to be aware of that distinction for a few reasons. The first is, although the, the big emotional moment of I've had enough is uh, fine and, and in many ways, good and right. On its own, it doesn't achieve anything. And we need to be clear on that. I I think so often around religious stuff, we feel like that big religious moment is the important part. If we've got that, then everything else will just flow from it. And that's really not true. The, The big moment does matter, but on its own, it doesn't achieve anything. The second thing that we need to be clear about is that making a specific strategic plan and then working it is actually an unemotional thing. Um, it's, it's not wise to make strategic decisions emotionally, and there's no way to work a multi-step plan that, that you know, uh, plays out over days, weeks, and months in an emotionally driven way. No one can sustain a heightened emotion state that long. So I think it's easy for us to feel like, I'm going to use my frustration at this job to fuel me. I'll just keep that rage going as I make and then execute this plan. <laughs> Perberage. Exactly. And we can all track with the logic of that, but no one can stay that angry that long. It just, you just get exhausted. It doesn't work that way. So Speak for yourself, Jid. <laughs> I mean, if you go on Facebook, there's people trying. So there's that. <laughs> oh no, Lee's entering the rage. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> But if we can embrace that this is a, you know, a two-stage thing where there's the part that is very emotional and then there's the part that's, that's really just much more strategic. It's about we have made a decision. A decision has been made. Now we are implementing this decision. And that is a largely unemotional thing where we want to make wise, smart, strategic decisions. Yeah. We want to get a lot of good input from people who know how to do this kind of thing well and move that forward. The good news is that if you 
make the big emotional decision and you marry it with a concrete specific plan with good advice from people who know and you get courage from the Lord to follow his leading in all of that, there's no limit to how much you can move forward and how much you can leave behind you. Amen. That's a fantastic point. And Lee, I love what Jed's giving us there because we talk on the show a lot. We talked previous questions, as a matter of fact, about left and right limits. So obviously it is incorrect, as Jed, as we were pointing out, to assume that kind of moving on, getting past them, letting go of something is going to be a, a an entirely emotional you know, ginned up kind of thing. But what may not get talked about as much is it's just as wrong to have this vision that we're going to do this in a very cold calculating way at every step. There is a a real feelings component to this. There's a reason you're wanting to move on from this thing. So how do we go about talking a little bit more about balancing those two aspects? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that there's a, there's a thing that happens to, I know it happens to me and I know it happens to people that I talk to in counseling type situations and stuff like that. I think it happens to almost everybody where there is a subtle, very delicate and very difficult to recognize shift when you've been hurt between the person who hurt you and the hurt itself becoming almost a totally like a personified thing that you're in a, now in a relationship with. What I'm saying is when somebody hurts you for a while, you're upset with that person, but there's also this piece in there. That's kind of an outrage at the fact that you were wounded. Um, there's a shift that can happen in your emotions. Not that you keep a rage for a, you know, for a long, 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 long time or whatever, but that you have kind of a, just kind of a feeling of the wound is its own. It's like, it's its own thing. And you're upset that you were wounded. Um, I love the way that Glenn was talking about in the midst of figuring out forgiveness, we also have to make sure that we're recognizing patterns of behavior so that we can draw boundaries against those things and not let people hurt us in the same way. That's a really, really important point. And it, and it talks exactly, you know, it deals exactly with what I'm thinking on this, which is, that we get all mixed up in the person who hurt us and the wound that we have as a result of, of this, this, this hurt that we've sustained. And so what happens is, is that we start to, we start to mix everything together and we just stay so wounded that we, we have a new relationship now. And it's almost like, it's, it's like this little love relationship you have with the fact that you have a right to be hurt over the fact that you were hurt. I don't know if that makes sense in the way that I'm explaining it, but I know that I have, I know I've walked through that. And I know that a huge key in pushing through to learning how to forgive people is separating those two things out. If I could coldly and clinically say, um, yeah, you did a thing to me. And I, you know what? If, if I look at it, I, I've decided I'm not going to burn your car down. I'm not going to burn your house down. I'm not going to get even with you in that kind of a way. So um, instead of that, you know, and, and I've done some things to to other people myself, I'll go ahead and forgive you. I'm just going to go ahead and forgive this. As Glenn said, it's squashed, it's over, it's, it's, it's unconditional, it's, it's, it's done. We're no, we don't have to talk about that ever again. If I could just separate out the person and the hurt, then that would be an easy step to take. But one thing that's going to have to happen is I'm going to have to recognize that I'm kind of in a relationship with my feelings on this. I'm kind of... It's almost like a it's almost like I'm dating my wound, my hurt. 
And I'm going to have to break up with that. I'm going to have to recognize that thing. And if I'm going to move past it, and if I'm going to, I, I call it, you know, I haven't forgiven that person yet. But that, that seems to me like the easiest part. Really, the next part is going to be the place where I recognize that I'm just carrying around these feelings. I'm carrying them around like a backpack that weighs 100 pounds. And it's not doing anybody any good. I'm not going to get this person even by burning their car down or whatever it is. I don't know why I keep going to that one. But, um, it, you know, it'd probably be a good way to get even with somebody, I guess. But I'm not going to do that. So I need to look at the fact that I am now in a relationship with these feelings. These feelings of being wounded. My outrage and the injustice of being hurt. And that's the part that I need to move on from. But I'm going to have to learn how to kind of stop communicating with that hurt. I'm going to have to depersonify it. I'm going to have to reject it and walk away from it. Um, and and I might need some help doing that. I might need some help from the Lord. I might need some help from a counselor or a therapist or a friend or a pastor or whomever. But the forgiving the person, I feel like that's the easier step. But I'm going to have to recognize that I've got two different things I'm dealing with, the person who hurt me and the hurt itself. And I'm going to need to walk away from that. That's absolutely right. I think that these guys all gave you a lot, a lot of good stuff on that. A very important topic. We're going to move on to our final question here comes in anonymously and it says, what do you do when you don't see an out and things keep getting worse? What are good strategies for those times when you feel trapped and sinking? It's a, it's a great question. And I think it's a feeling we can all relate to. And Jed, let me get you to start with this. Cause I really uh, love that the person kind of, they almost saw uh, uh, saving us time coming and sure. asked, what are, stra- what are good strategies? So we yes. can save that you need a strategy. Yes. So what is that strategy, Jed? Ask for help. Yeah. Ask for help. For the second time in this episode, my inner white man speaks up and says, boo. Boo. Ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for help. Here's why. Um, this is an odd thing to, to say, but it's true. Um, I have been in situations where it looked like I was screwed so many times I've lost count. Like, that's part of being a missionary, uh, is that comes up a lot. And um, your initial response is, we're all going to die. Um, and then your, your next response is, uh, everything is on fire and it's all going to burn to the ground. Yeah. Um, and, th- and, and then there's ne- real, there's real, these are real possibilities. They're possible. Absolutely. Your, your, your next response to quote Monty Python is run away. <laughs> um, but if you, um, if you can, can keep it together for long enough for all of those to, to fade a little bit. And you start asking around, what you realize is that in 99.9% of situations that people face in life, there's always another play you can make. Yeah. There's always something that can be done. There's always a way to improve this situation. Even if we can't 100% fix it, there's a way that we can improve it. Uh, Money problems. Um, honestly, a whole lot of stuff that is predatory, at least in the American system is, is based on people not knowing what other options they have. Uh, that's, that's, it's set up to prey on ignorance. That's the whole thing. And if you can dig it, um, a lot of bad situations, some by design, some just, um, because they've evolved that way, work very similarly where this will hurt you the worst if you are not aware of what your actual options are. 
That's um, right. Uh, uh, certainly, there's a ton of health stuff that works that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we referenced money stuff that works that way. There's oh my gosh, is there constant legal stuff that works that way? Um, as guys who, who work with crime all the time, if you need a lawyer, you should hire the best lawyer you can possibly afford. Like sell your stuff to hire a better lawyer because the whole point of a lawyer is he knows what all the loopholes are. So again, in the huge, I mean, not everything, not all the time, but the huge vast majority of situations, this can be improved. This can be made better if we get help from someone who knows about these kind of situations. That's that's the thing of it. I think where we run into problems are twofold. The first is what I semi-jokingly referenced, which is just that sense of, oh, we're all going to die. And it's easy to feel frozen by that. It really, really is. And I actually don't want to make light of that in a sense in that it is easy to just feel frozen of uh, the, the jig is up. I, it's game over for me. And I'm just and if that's where you're at, man, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way. I promise you that's not true. That is not what's actually accurate about your situation, but I'm so sorry you're feeling that way, and it's really easy to feel frozen in that. And we we want to encourage you to not give in to that feeling. The second thing is there are far more people who want to help than you would expect. Yes, some of them it is purely a profit-based thing. I am an attorney. This is what I do. I, I help people who pay me. There is some of that. That's not all of it. There's a lot of people who want to help just because they want to help. In, in all kinds of situations. And if you get into the mode of looking for help, here's the funny thing. I think not only will you find help with your current crisis situation, which is great. It's awesome. It's that's what we need. I think it may inspire you that there's probably help waiting on less intense problems that you've been dealing with for a while. If there's people who are willing to help me with X, there's probably people out there who'd be willing to help me with Y as well. That's true. There are. Jesus said, those who ask, uh, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, find that the door is open to them. I have found that to be true in my life. And I particularly found it to be true in terms of seeking help. If you don't know, if you feel like you're trapped and there's no way out, get help from people. Yes, that includes counselors and therapists to talk about the emotional element of it, but it also includes subject matter experts for whatever the thing is. Again, whether that's money or legality or health or whatever the deal is, you are not trapped. This is not game over. So get that help. It's a great point. That's a really the most important thing and a fantastic place to start off. And Lee, let's let's I'd love to get you here to look at some of the in-between steps we talk about a lot in the show. Sure. So definitely the right thing to do is that could be a counselor, a pastor, a therapist, a lawyer, um, you know, ch- child uh, psychologist, whoever it is that is has the answer to these questions. It is very important that you access those people, that you move in that direction. Often those people have office hours. Sure. So there are going to be some logistical hurdles. Are there things we can do like as soon as I hit pause on this podcast to start making this a little better? Yeah. And and I love the the last little distinction you made. Just we want to we want to have a little bit of an improvement and especially internally. I'm thinking about the way I view my situation, the way I view my day and the way I view myself. And the thing about this is, is that a lot of times, especially kind of in American culture, and this may be true in other cultures, I I grew up here. It's definitely true here that in American culture, what we prize as celebratory are the biggest things in life. So somebody uh, gets a college degree or an advanced degree from a university. That is something worth celebrating. Somebody gets, somebody makes partner in the firm that is something worth celebrating. Somebody gets married, that's when we're celebrating. And here's the thing. 
that you actually do hundreds of things every day that you could feel really good about that like I set a little goal and I accomplished it. And this is not this is this is not a um this isn't fake. This isn't um, cheap. It's not any of that kind of stuff. That there are actual things going on in your day where you are accomplishing important steps. And it would be very appropriate for you to feel like, I did that thing, and I'm going to celebrate that victory. I'm going to pat myself on the back, and I'm going to feel good about the steps that I'm making today. A lot of times, the feeling... Um, People that feel stuck in whatever the situation is feel like they have no kind of control over their choices or over anything in their life. And so what I would encourage you right now today to make this a little bit better is to start to recognize the tons and tons of small volitional moments that you have in your day where you are deciding to set a goal and you're accomplishing it. I got up at 7 a.m. or whatever your get-up time is. I took a shower. I got dressed. I made breakfast. I made the coffee. I started some laundry and I headed to work or whatever that situation is. Every single one of those steps is a victory. Now, some of those are little victories. You know, if you wake up and you brush your teeth, that's a little victory. But man, you did it. And this is the thing is that we are so used to only celebrating things that like, you know, take years and years to accomplish and sometimes are, you know, we might not even have the opportunity to do them, that it's become so easy to feel like a failure. What if I decided every volitional moment that where I willfully choose to set some goal for myself and accomplish it during this day, I'm going to feel a victory. I'm going to celebrate a victory. I'm going to take a W. I'm going to take a win. And then I'm going to celebrate that thing and feel good about myself. These are, the, these are kind of the moments within a situation where you can't totally change everything right now, where you can still feel good about the direction that you're going and the day that you're having. Another thing that I've found that has been helpful for folks that I've talked to kind of in counseling situations or whatever is... To go ahead and set kind of a, like a dream goal for like a trip you want to take or a thing that you want to have or a thing that you want to get or something like that and just start putting some money aside for that thing. Maybe it feels like that's never going to happen for years and years and years, but actually you'd be surprised at how fast something like that could accumulate. And just kind of some hope about this is a goal I have one day. Today, I'm setting goals and accomplishing them and feeling the victories. And then one day, I have this big goal, this thing that nobody in my family's ever done or I never thought I would be able to do. And then one day, I'm, I'm going to hit that tipping point and I'm going to go or I'm going to get the thing or I'm going to take those guitar lessons or I'm going to I'm going to uh, download that language app and I'm going to start uh, learning this language. Whatever that thing would be for you, I'm going to I'm going to learn to swim. Whatever it is, start setting aside and getting a strategy for stuff like for bigger stuff like that right now while you celebrate the little victories that you're already getting every single day. It's a great idea, and that is really, really good strategy that we can apply. And Glenn, um, I think to close us out, there's the idea of being in crisis, which we talk about, and then there's kind of the long-term solutions. But Actually, this goes back to something you were talking about in the previous question about the way we try to use emotion. Mm. I think they're, one of the kind of most confusing things about this is we can hear people have been through something really big, really tough on the other side of it for years. Talk about how, you know, I really learned a lot. 
right. during that time. Yeah. What they almost always mean is, after I had survived that, yeah. I thought back on that time and learned a lot about it. And that yeah. may seem like a small distinction, but I think it's a big one when we're going through the crisis. Absolutely. I think people don't, uh, you know, people, it's it's hard for us to relate to and remember when we were in those crises and what that felt like and how overwhelming it is. You know, one of the things I often find myself, if we could take this from an individual thing in your life and take it out to like a macro thing, there are times where I'm uh, trying to help a church or an organization that's looking to get out of a crisis and they say, okay, um, the numbers are way down, therefore this thing is fundamentally busted. You say, well, no, it doesn't, that's not necessarily the case because if you if you think of it like a car, if you have a car that you're driving down the road, if you don't have any gas, the car will stop, but it doesn't mean the car's broken. It right. just is lacking one component, you know. If you take the wiring out of this car, you, it won't even start. But that doesn't mean the car is fundamentally broken. There's just one thing that needs to change. So a lot of our crises are really, um, it, it may be a total breakdown, and that's the reality. And we have to face that reality, and we, we're accepting that. And I'm not trying to paper over that, but I'm saying it is often important for us to look at the larger situation and say, Actually, most of this is not busted. It's just, you know, this one thing has got me hung up. Uh, I think what that will lead us to is the, the sort of shifting gears between a crisis management and longer-term solutions. Uh, there are times when you're in crisis and you need to manage that crisis. You need to compartmentalize a little bit. You need to give yourself permission to do things you wouldn't normally do, whether that's spend money you wouldn't normally spend, whether that's take time off from work you normally wouldn't, and so on and so forth, because we're in crisis mode, and it's a different kind of thing, different considerations. Then shifting that gear out of crisis mode is as important as well, getting into a more longer-term solutions, uh, not staying in that crisis mode, and so on and so forth. The tricky thing is I see a lot of people try to evaluate their situation while they're in the crisis. Mm. And uh, it, it, I'll give Jed credit, uh, and um, he may not know how to receive credit because he doesn't get it a lot. I usually just... Credit? I usually just steal things from him, but... <laughs> am, am I saying that right? <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, I'll credit Jed that um, <laughs> we were talking about this kind of thing over lunch uh, last week. And he gave us the analogy of, you know, if your house is on fire, you don't say, man, I just need to understand why is this house on fire and what's going on? Right. Like, we need to talk about this. Like, why? It's like everything's on fire. I have house fire feelings, and I feel yeah. like I need to express them right now. <laughs> yeah. Step one is get out. Start <laughs> running out. Okay. That's step one. It doesn't seem like the most important step. It is. It, we can evaluate this later. Uh, that's not step one. It's not, hey, let me just get a, a, a perspective on this thing here. Uh, so I think when, you're, when, you, when you feel certain that you are in crisis mode, let's leave that evaluation for the future. I, if, you, if you know what you need to do to deal with this crisis, that's enough wisdom Act on that wisdom. When you're out of that crisis, you shift into that longer-term thinking. 
And that's where this wisdom and the perspective and all that, that's where we want that to, to happen. When we get to that place of looking for perspective, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord in order to gain that, not look at the problem and uh, turn that over in sort of an endless way, hoping that it's going to give us wisdom. Uh, uh, that's, that's the nature of problems, is that there's nothing to it. I thought the line went, if you gaze into the void long enough, you'll get a lot of wisdom about the void. Yeah, that's, that's not the line. <laughs> Chad read the uh, homeschool version of Nietzsche, and it's, it's been edited. There's another version! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, if, if, you, uh, if, if you look at a lot of problems, there's just, you know, it's, it's a, a closed loop of logic. There's no way of thinking or, or reasoning your way out of those things. But the Lord can come along and give you a different perspective, an entirely different viewpoint on that that allows you to see it on a bigger or macro kind of level like we're talking about here. And then suddenly you know how to put that in a box and where to, you know, how to, what consideration to give it, how to uh, see yourself within it and so on and so forth. So I'm looking to get that perspective from the Lord. I'm not looking to endlessly talk and and look at this problem in a way that can sort of feed back on itself and almost be a wallowing process, almost be just a, a, a lot of the problems that I have, it, it's just a, an unsolvable puzzle that you'll never work your way out. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, what a, what am I even looking at here? And it's, he'll, he'll give me a whole different viewpoint on it. It's like, oh, now, okay. Now I see what, you know, this is, okay. So I think if we have that, that uh, ability to shift these gears through this process, uh, we're going to do a whole lot better than if we get sort of yeah. a leaden in our thinking, sort of, a, 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 you know, we're, we're stuck in plodding along and just head down and push through kind of mentality, which is often my greatest weakness in these kind of things. So I'm pointing the finger at myself with this. I think if we get into shifting those gears, we're going to do a whole lot better. Absolutely right. I think that's all really fantastic stuff. And it, it really does work together. I think we, we talk a lot on the show about a lot of people, the hole in their thinking being not looking for wisdom. They want to feel the way out of things. They want a quick fix. And wisdom and un that understanding that comes from a source outside of yourself, that could be directly from the Lord, that could be from people who are more learned in a subject than you, that could be uh, often a pretty potent combination of the two, is a very important thing. It's also almost always a process, the, uh, that the single bit of mo moment and bit of wisdom that unlocks everything for all time is pretty rare. So in, while we're pursuing wisdom, while we're putting that on these things, we do need the these strategies these guys are talking about, like that like Lee was giving us to get to that next day so we can get a little more wisdom. And as you slowly kind of climb your way out of that hole, the wisdom will become more and more as you don't have to dedicate that amount of resources to just getting out of the crisis. That That is the way that balance always tips eventually, but we do have to keep our head above water long enough to let it tip that way. All right. If you have a question for us, say at podcast, gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr dot com or you can scroll down into the episode description and click on those links we're gonna take out this week with a song from this month's bridge box this is the pool house gurus yeah. version of when the saints we'll take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it let's say that podcast we'd like to take our relationship with you to the ikea level <laughs>
That's how everyone will know Cause your love will let it show That you follow after me Cause your love will make it seem Oh, when the saints, they feed the poor Oh, when the saints, they feed the poor Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints, they feed the poor And when the saints visit the sick Oh, when the saints visit the sick Yeah, Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints visit the sick And when the saints, they welcome in With strangers, they welcome in Yeah, Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints welcome them in And when the saints turn the other cheek When the saints love their enemies Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints turn the other cheek That's how everyone will know Cause your love will let it show That you follow after me Cause your love will make it seem Oh, when the saints, they feed the poor Oh, when the saints, they feed the poor Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints, they feed the poor And when the saints visit the sick Oh, when the saints visit the sick Yeah, Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints visit the sick And when the saints They welcome in With strangers they welcome in Yeah, Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints welcome them in And when the saints turn the other cheek When the saints love their enemies Lord, I want to be in that number When the saints turn the other cheek See you.